good people. You are listening to Feel Free to Deviate, the podcast about people, their careers, and their relationships with success. My name is Jim Turbert, and I'm the host of the show. The guest on this episode is Rachel Carey. We met around the time I first moved to Rotterdam when she was a grad student at the Pietzvart Institute. At that time, I was hanging around with a pile of local artists, and, and Rachel and I had several mutual friends. We were also in the same Dutch class for a while. She's an artist. I'll let her fill you in on what that means, but it's fairly important to note that she has a regular job doing financial stuff because the bills aren't going to pay themselves. Just to fill in some blanks, Witte de Witte is the old name of an exhibition space slash cultural center in Rotterdam that is now called Kunstinstitut Melli. It's a cool place. You should check it out. We also mentioned Piet Zwart and Willem de Koning in the episode. In addition to being actual people, they are also the names of the big art schools in Rotterdam. If there are some other mysterious Dutch things that were not defined, I apologize, but feel free to Google them or ask me about them in an email, mail at feelfreetodeviate.com. This is a fun and lively episode, and it's kind of long, so I don't want to keep you from it any longer. Get comfortable or prepare yourself in whatever way you need to, and remember, you can always pause it and come back if you can't finish it all at once. This is my conversation with Rachel Carey. I definitely came from a utilitarian family, four kids, two of whom did not go to, both of my brothers did not go to college. When I said I wanted to study art, uh, my parents uh, were, their reaction was, why and how are you going to pay back your debt? Good question. So I didn't study art. Yeah. And because I thought, yeah, that's a... Uh, my dad was basically saying you're going to be in debt around 60 grand when you finish. I, I'm just aware that the U.S. system of education and higher education being so different from the European one somehow forces um, a, a lesser diversification of what people might do and might choose to do because I wonder if, at least in the middle class, if everybody's selecting professions mm-hmm. kind of based on, I need to earn money, and am I going to be able to pay back my college debt? It's a crazy cycle. It is a crazy cycle. Whereas the people I've met here in Europe, or at least in, in France, have everybody has such these intricate areas of study and knowledge and interest that I'm envious of from my youth of, ah, if I wouldn't have been put into this direction of working. I mean, similar to you, I think, um, working from a young age, doing anything and everything, like mowing lawns mm-hmm. for my older brother yeah. at the time, uh, working in an ice cream store, work, you know. Like, <laughs> Check. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, from 14 on. 15 for me. I was a dishwasher in my first job, but. Yeah. And so putting into us this work culture, whereas the irony here with people's modes of study is kind of like Fordism. Like, this is what I studied. This is what I do. And mm-hmm. I'm not deviating from that, which is kind of like the assembly line of Fordism. Yeah. You only do this. You only do that. The irony, I think, is that f- coming from the U.S., the country of Fordism, uh-huh. where we're not being Fordism, we're doing anything and everything in a way to survive. And by doing that in the short term, we're able to pay the bills and do this and do that. Maybe even live a great life. In, yes. You know? Yeah. But then not being specialized in the long term 
maybe is more of a detriment. We can come back to talk more about that. But because you, well, yeah, I don't, I'm not going to say what you are. Why don't you introduce yourself and, and tell me, like when someone says, oh, what do you do? What do you say? I honestly have a hard time with that because I know what I want to do and be. And I realize you are what you do and you become what you do. And I do have a side job, but I am an artist. And to be honest, uh, recently in the last couple years, I feel less and less of an artist, like an artist. Mm -hmm. And I'm more and more aware of people wanting to, not individuals, but maybe society and myself compartmentalizing myself into doing accounting. Yeah. So I guess just to give some background for your listeners and audience, I first studied international business and economics because even though I wanted to study art, I was afraid of the debt. And in my last year of business school, I took a drawing class and uh, discovered for the first time three hours going by and I wasn't looking at the watch. Uh-huh. And I didn't realize that all of a sudden class was over and I loved it. Whereas when I was taking, let's just say, a quantitative analysis class. And I fascinating. No. <laughs> like formulas to calculate logistics and um but where I'd be looking at my watch like, okay, Rachel, you've got three hours to solve this problem. And um uh, to give myself a time limit, otherwise I could spend five. Mm-hmm. And that's a horrible way to spend your your night. So uh, that was my first uh, experience with art, was the drawing class. Um, I knew I wanted to do that. And uh, upon graduating from um, university, I went to the University of Kansas. Yeah. <laughs> Jayhawk. I was going to say, I was trying to remember what the mascot was, but I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't pull it up. And long story short, I um, was supposed to work for a uh, company in Toulouse, France, Michelin. And then my older brother, who owns his own company, called me up and he had purchased two um, smaller companies that were going bankrupt. Since he hadn't gone to business school or college, and he had been kind of the building up the business on his own. Mm-hmm. And he thought that he now needed somebody who maybe had a degree to help him or somebody to do the accounting. So he asked if I wanted to work for him. I said no, because I didn't want to work in heavy industry and with all men. Then I was thinking about things, thinking over and ended up making a deal with him where, okay, I'll work for you, but I want to go to art school. So two days a week, I got off early. Uh, drove and took one class. And for six years, I took one class a semester. At the university. Mm-hmm. Metal smithing. Awesome. Yes. Lots of fire and iron, yeah, copper, all, all the crafts. And I did that for six years. And after six years, I didn't imagine quitting my job for him to do metal smithing because I was still kind of back at the same uh, question that my dad was asking me six years previous or even before going to college. And that was not how are you going to pay back your debt, but what are you going to do? It's a good question. And I actually, even though having a 
metalsmithing degree, hadn't really thought, what do I really want to do? And I didn't want to be a jeweler. I didn't imagine myself making lamps or it was more this uh, enjoyment of working with the materials. But for some reason, I didn't, I wasn't wanting to turn this into a business. Funny how that happens. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And at work, I was listening to uh, French radio or I was taking French classes because it was a requirement Uh in the international business to have um, another language. I honestly didn't speak French. I just thought I did. And um, I, this was the beginning of Google. So this is uh, about early 2000s. And I started looking up uh, French schools in France. There were like 20 in one country. And I'll, I'll specialize, like one would just be for animation and one would just be for photography. Too specific. Very specific. Too specific. And I applied to a um, several schools. I got a lot of rejection letters. One, because of my age. Yeah. Where uh, literally, like, uh, Barris said, no, you're too old. You're older than 26. That's, that's tough. Yes, that's tough. Like, how do you, how does somebody deal with a career change, which is maybe different in the U.S. than it is in France or in Europe? But this one school in the city of Metz uh, granted me an interview. And I told my older brother I was taking a vacation. Uh-huh. And I went over to France to interview. And long story short, I got accepted. I asked my dad if if I was going through a midlife crisis, but at the age of 28. <laughs> and, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Perspective. <laughs> and he said, no, there will always be accounting jobs. Uh, go do it. So the plan was that I would go for one year, and one year became two, which became three, and I've been gone 17 years. (laughs) That's a long hiatus. That is a long hiatus. (laughs) And it's the best decision. Right. I I looked you up in preparation for this because I wasn't sure. I know that you have a jobby job. And uh, is it still the case that you work at Vita de Vit? I do have a jobby job. I Yes, I still do work at Vita de Vit, which is now called Kunst Institute Melli. Oh, right. Melli. Right. I forgot. And that for me is, it's difficult because prior to working there, I worked in the private sector. Yeah. So I was, it, that was still my side job, about one to two days a week, um, doing their accounting and um, cleaning up their admin which I'm sure is very important. It is, because admin also is a way to run not just the physical side of a company, but also the back end of a company. For sure. And that was nice because it was sort of separation of church and state. Okay. So nobody in the cultural field knew that I did that. Yeah. And and that was nice because when people amongst my friends or meeting people who in the creative sector would see me as Rachel, an yeah. artist. And since I've started working at Kunst Institute Melly, I have been contacted more than I would like by other cultural institute, yeah. institutions to do their accounting. So I often have, I'll see an email and I will 
very temporarily, unfortunately, become excited when I see the name and I think, oh, that would be great. This person has seen my work. They want me to do an installation. Yes, or write, or <laughs> watch one of my films. And um, instead, it's uh, unfortunately mostly for accounting. Oh, brutal. And so that's where um, the separation of church and state is. Beneficial. Beneficial. <laughs> and that's, that's kind of one of the things that I wanted to talk about, because I always just assumed that if one was going to pursue an art career that working a normal job would be required. But I think that that's, well, it's not exclusively an American perspective, but I, I feel like a lot of people here can get by with subsidies and other means of supporting themselves without having to work an actual job. Whereas in America, most of my friends who are artists either teach or they have some other kind of crazy job. Like I know people who fix bikes and, and, and do all, 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 all kinds of stuff, but most of them are teachers. And here I feel like it's less like because of the subsidies, because of the, it's like a cult, it's a, it's a huge cultural difference. There's more financial assistance from the government or whatever here. And whereas there's none in America, unless you, you get a Fulbright or, and there's, they only give out so many Fulbrights considering the number of artists. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Or, or you get these huge, huge grants from massive organizations, but you're, you only get those really if you're a like, star, a star or an old, like you're going to be a star. Yeah. Y you know, like you can't just be a normal artist, like a, a normal working artist who's not famous. Well, I mean, I've also gotten uh, grants and subsidies here. But that's not income. It's yeah, not yeah. your salary. It's not it's reliable. Not, it's inconsistent. Yeah. And most, actually all artists I know here, most, the majority have have a side job. Yeah. Teaching or working in a cafe mm -hmm. or, yeah, repairing bikes. But not necessarily working as an accountant. Correct. Like that's, that's, I think that's a big difference with a lot of people. Like I know people who actually, I know one of my friends works as an install guy at Melly. Yeah. <laughs> and and, uh, and um, whatever. I also know a lady who teaches yoga sometimes and, you know, works this, that, and the other thing. And yeah, but these are, these are essential to, it, it's also nice to have something aside and, a, and apart from just being in your studio uh -huh. uh, five days a week. And that's the only thing that you do. I mean, I do like the connection to the using quotation marks here, the real world. The real world. Yeah, I, I always refer to it as normal, but go ahead. <laughs> the other world. But um, yeah, I mean, in the U.S., our government is um, has a huge budget for the military. And here, the government has a, perhaps a smaller budget for military and a larger one for, for culture and education. I mean, when I first got I mean, this was already a, a quite a long time ago after I finished my studies. I did get the a grant from the Mondrian funds. And oh, I nice. was That's a very good one. excited. It is a very good one. And I was very excited and I shared it with my parents. It was a lot of money. Uh -huh. And instead of being <laughs> happy or excited for me, which they were happy and excited, but they also were, their first response was, how can the government do this? <laughs> like, fr free money to uh, to artists? Yeah. And because they don't have 45 stealth bombers. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so I think one, that's the difference which it's embedded in in the population here and 
in people is that there is a emphasis more on 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 education and on culture and it's not just that though it's everything child care yes. you can get stipends for child care you can get assistance for pretty much everything quality of life for your rent yes you can get which you know whatever i'm not saying it's a socialist paradise no it's not <laughs> like it's definitely not 100 percent awesome but at least there are things if you go out and look for them there are ways to help people get by whereas you always hear these stories about people in the u.s in you know work like having children working one job and getting on a bus traveling an hour to go to their second or third job and they never see their kids and yeah it's bad yeah people here i think see their kids i see mine and a it's lot. not just because i'm unemployed it's because like even when i was working i could see my kids <laughs> <laughs> i'm lucky though i'm a lucky guy yeah you are i, I also feel lucky i mean i i do feel lucky that I do have a side job that does permit me to pay for my studio and does permit me to subsidize my own projects. Although I am confronted with this perception from the cultural world on who I am, because mm -hmm. that didn't used to be an issue. Right. And it puts me in the position to have to more and more find ways to reaffirm who I am and what I do. But I'm also very much aware of i i want to do my art practice yeah and i even more have a stronger desire to be in my studio because i really truly do get pleasure from it sure. and i am reminded of yes i used to have a very nice job in the us i was well paid and i left all that for a reason and money does bring happiness bring something that's it for sure something. i could use some <laughs> But it's it's also relative to the person. Yeah. What one person considers a lot of money is, is definitely different from yeah, what the next person what does. What makes me happy is time. Yeah. That, for me, is more valuable. So I I get greedy with my, with my time. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's why... That's why you're here. That's why I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> But time is also exchange, exchange with people, and I, I value it. I value it a lot. So, well, I like that you keep calling it your side job, and yeah. you focus that the art is your is your you are an artist. This is your side job. I think it's great, and I think it's also cool that you can. Uh, I, I don't even know if it's like a, a a struggle within you to resist the urge of more lucrative work as the the accountant for the art world. What's that dude's name? Sheward? Sheward? Sheward Westbrook. Yeah, that dude does all the art stuff. He does all the accounting work for... But he quit. He did? He quit yes. accounting? Yes. Because he had so many... He was doing the tax returns for basically all the individual artists Everybody in the in south Rotterdam. of Rotterdam. <laughs> so he had like 150 clients probably or a thousand. And, <laughs> and he quit and he gave everybody over to this other company okay. that would handle that. Yeah. I don't want to do that. No. I don't want to do anybody's individual. No. So the But at the time that was probably amazing for him because he was making good money. He was. <laughs> he was. <laughs> and he's just like, dude, I hate this. I don't want I do hate it. <laughs> I mean, on the one hand, I do love numbers and uh 
making the left side equal the right side sure, sure. and and everything equals zero. Uh, okay, that doesn't make sense to you, but <laughs> Depen uh, depending on what which 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 column you're looking at. Yes, but uh, <laughs> yeah, everything equals zero and everything balances out. And um that that precision of everything being well organized and and I do enjoy helping companies and institutions. But then when I get into the studio, it's uh, a very different brain. It's, yeah. Uh, I, I switch brains. So I have a very non-clean, I wouldn't say like Maude from the Big Lebowski. <laughs> yes. Not at, not at all. <laughs> that would be amazing. I would totally go to your studio. <laughs> I'm, how do I say, I don't feel that like anything I do has um, um, an anal side to it yeah <laughs> so <laughs> but i i will say that there are hints and layers of of economics that that enter into my practice because economics is it it's equations that describe human behavior but it's also equations that sure yeah manipulate human behavior i actually think one of the things that i would study if i were to go back to school would be either if i went back to art school i'd probably take fibers classes and if i went to schooly school I would probably study economics, I love or economics. maybe, or maybe English. Huh? Yeah, just because because the bigger scope of like yes, the practical and and, and lucrative aspect of economics is supply and demand. But I, I I also like to look at it as it's supply and demand in the greater sense, not even necessarily the financial sense. Just like you can look at the balance of the entire world through an economics lens. Yeah, yeah, you can. And I think that that is what. Is that that's a perspective that is missing from a lot of especially political discussions right now. You've got people who can only see their their side because they are unwilling or unable to see what it does on the other side of, of the fence, you know, whether it's conservative or liberal or whatever. I feel like if there was a more holistic approach to everything, there would be more understanding and everything would be better. <laughs> Or maybe not. <laughs> People are still selfish, right? <laughs> yes, inherently, yes. You you talked before about having all these 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 uh, these other uh, institutions coming to get you. Remind one of my one of my questions on my list about them, Melly, hiring you. Was it more important that you had a financial background and just a bonus that you also have an artistic practice, or like so? Did they just feel like, oh, we hit the jackpot? Or were they looking, would, would they have taken anybody with like a super nerdy financial background? Ah, uh, I don't know. But actually, they were posting um, and they had an opening. Where, where did they, did, did they, where did they post? On their website. That's it. And well, I went to them. Yeah. Because the job that I had in the private sector, um, since we're in Rotterdam, I'm not going to say who it was or what happened but there were um it was a very unpleasant work environment awesome in the last <laughs> i guess that is awesome love that <laughs> uh in the uh, i was there for six years and in the final two years it was uh, pretty bad won't go into that and two friends of mine were aware of some of the specific situations that were going on and the unpleasant pressures being put on me. Yeah. And they forwarded me this uh, 
opening for Melly, which at the at the time Vintage of It was looking for somebody to han- handle their financial administration. Yeah. And my first reaction was, nah, they're not going to hire me. They it specifically says needs to speak fluent Dutch, which I uh, don't speak no. fluent Dutch. How how is your Dutch? Mm, understanding it's quite good. Yeah. And I do try to speak at work, but yeah. I'm not I'm not fluent at all. I I speak like a child. Hmm. My children make fun of me, but you know. Okay. <laughs> Maybe my level's like that of a six year old. <laughs> but anyway. But I think that they hired me because I was overqualified for the position mm-hmm. in terms of skill and yeah, experience. And experience. Yeah. And they had more simplistic needs. I personally don't think that my background as being an artist had an impact because the okay. I this is my opinion. Yeah. And it's based on the persons who were interviewing me. Yeah, well, you've been there for six years now. So, I mean, you can look around you. Are the other people that are doing non-art-specific work, do they also have art backgrounds? Because, I mean, if if they only posted it on their website... Well, <laughs> I don't know, because I wasn't actively looking yeah. for a job. So okay. I wasn't looking at other outlets. So yeah, yeah, I yeah. don't know. I just know that the posting that posting was forwarded to me. And so then that's when I entered into the world of church and state became (laughs) intertwined. It became intertwined. (laughs) And after that, that led to being contacted by other smaller and equivalent uh, locations. This this lady gets us. Yes. Which, which (laughs) is nice because of course it is when there are too. It is rare. You could make bank. <laughs> no, because uh, the cultural field doesn't pay as well as the private sector. Yeah, it's all about it's all about the numbers, though. Volume. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but of course, when they come with uh, budgets to do, you know, special projects, I'm because maybe of the uh, also being an artist. I'm like, yeah, that's a great idea. Or yeah, I yeah, get yeah. I get the budget. I don't consider it frivolous maybe i do but yeah well sometimes i'm sure it is i've seen some of the 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 budgets that marlene deals with with museums it's crazy like they'll just throw away 10 grand for nothing and you're just like what what why they gave that guy 10 grand (laughs) yes (laughs) that does happen but there maybe there's more of an empathy yeah um, yeah (laughs) uh, because i also see uh Okay, I don't, in my own personal practice, I don't, I'm not spending uh, tons on, well, sometimes, because I also work with 60 millimeter film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I realize the expense is relative, but for an indi- for, for a small artist who's not making money with art, yeah. or making not making a ton of money with art, 60 millimeter film is very expensive. <laughs> it is, but it's so pleasurable. And I think this is where I I enjoy it so much because I can't control it. I mean, you can control it. But of course the, you can. <laughs> <laughs> there, there is that nice, this is the antithesis to working with accounting programs and how everything yeah, yeah, has yeah, to yeah. be, you know, there's a place for everything and everything has to be in its place and yeah. everything needs to be organized. And then I'm loading a roll of film in a 16 millimeter film camera and you don't know what's going to happen <laughs> so uh yeah i i don't want to nerd out on cameras but Please. as previous um previous listeners to this podcast know occasionally i dork out on cameras 
I'm just curious, what, what, what camera are you, are you using a Bolex? Yes, I yeah. have three. I have. You own them? Yes. Nice. Yes, I. The wind-up ones. I have a wind-up one. What is it? The B. To be honest, I'm not as B. nerdy as you. I don't know these numbers. It's the manual one, so I could take it to the Arctic Circle if I wanted and awesome. film and not be concerned about battery. Yeah. So that's, aren't these, ex- these are cameras for explorer, explorers. Yeah. Um, I also have a Russian camera that starts with a K, and I can't remember. Kiev. No, it's a long, um, it's a long name. Huh. K-R-A. Uh, okay, but, and what's the other one? The third one is also a Bolex, but with a battery. Okay. And so then it can handle a 10 meter reel of film. Nice. Cartridge instead of the, uh, That must be a three meter. ton. It does. It yeah. does. And um, I, I really, I really enjoy it. I, uh, for me, light is still. I mean, Hito Sterile mentions that people who uh, film still with film, and I guess galleries that use projectors are nostalgic. And I do love Hito Sterile, but I also think, yeah, but light is particle and wave. Yeah. And with film, you still see the particles. You still see the particles of that light is hitting in the air of of the dust and and I like that it's not super sharp. Mm-hmm. I sometimes the super sharp I'm turned off by it, but I'm I'm reactivated with with film. So in my works, I don't only film with film, I also use uh found footage and then the digital when a subject matter within a film of mine has something of a fictive element then I do choose to use the film medium mm-hmm. to film that because then I feel that the, the medium of film is a reflection of of that idea, which is being dreamlike or fictional or in the future or mm-hmm. surreal. And then when I use digital, then that's more of the reality part of life. It's funny. I feel like a lot of the earlier uh, video cameras had a cartoony quality so like if i look at it now i feel like um because most of the movies that i love were filmed on film in in a certain way that seems more real to me huh but if i like i recently i was i was playing around with i have an old mini dv camera which isn't even like by video standards isn't even that old it's from the early 2000s and it was a really good one at the time but it has this quality to it that looks very old <laughs> especially if you shoot in low light yeah I, I i don't know i guess i i've come to appreciate all cameras for whatever they do whether it's your phone or this old video camera or a super vhs camera or i i have a lot of super 8 cameras i i've i i have shot 16 millimeter but it's not really my jam because of the money <laughs> it's just too much money <laughs> But you know you become super decisive. Because it's precious. When you know that you only have three minutes yeah. inside that that yeah, role. For real. You you don't do like ten shots of one thing and then you you literally do one shot yeah. of oh, I want five seconds on this. And and actually five seconds is a long it's time. It's a crazy long shot. Yes. <laughs> and it's it's really nice. Or a pan of fifteen. Now on the wind up cameras, I can only get fifteen seconds oh is that what it is is that it's about 15 if you wind it fully yeah and 
you, you know, 15 seconds on a on a pan. Is, a lot can happen. A lot can happen. And it's it's actually very nice. And when you look at all the editing styles of today's uh, yeah, TV series or sure. I mean, it, there's it's so rare that there's a shot with 15 seconds. So it's actually three, three minutes. You can be you can actually get a lot, a lot of it. Indeed. Indeed. I feel like at some point there was an arms race, like back in the dawn of the cinema, who could get the longest pan shots, you know, like what, what was that? What's that movie? The T- touch of evil. Like it opens up with a six minute pan or something. Serious? Like, yeah. And like that was groundbreaking revolutionary. And then you got like the pan shot from Goodfellas and stuff like that. If you, you know, go to nerdy cinema stories.com or whatever (laughs) that's not an actual website but um if if you know you look up these sorts of things like you can uh find all the different movies that have these these groundbreaking super long pans but you're right i feel like it's it's cuts are pretty fast these days see this is my problem with being a jack of all trades master of none is that I never took a film class. You should. It would be fun just to watch the movies, you know? Yes, yeah. Like, who cares what you do with it or, or if you, like, just watch, just to watch the films. You know, you know, you know it's like the thing, especially with an art background, there, everyone has gaps in their, their repertoire. You know, even if you know, if you know films, there are films, like, I haven't seen so many of the essential films. I haven't seen a single spaghetti western. Well, that's ridiculous. You should go get. <laughs> you should go get all the all the, the 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 Sergio Leone films. Oh my God, they're so good. Yeah, the sound. I know. Watch the, them with Julian. I I know I should, but coming from Kansas, cowboy western movies never interested me. Oh, <laughs> like, dude, why would I want to watch this? Yeah, they're so great. Uh, <laughs> they're, so, they're so great. They're so great. But anyway, you get forced to watch these things and some of them you don't want to watch and some of them are actually kind of painful to watch. You're just like, oh, this is awful. But then you watch it and you appreciate the things about it. Like you you sort of understand why it's a famous or notable film, whether you ever want to watch it again or not. When I went to Mass Art, their film department is all about avant-garde films. I fell asleep during some of the most painfully horrendous art films that have ever been made. But they're also kind of the best. (laughs) you know what i mean like especially for a guy who just grew up going to the video store and watching videos like you learn that other things are possible yeah like even if it's stupid and crazy it's okay to do stupid and crazy things and maybe you even like it (laughs) (laughs) and i yeah i mean it's great (laughs) yeah i think i should well pete smart probably doesn't have a film class but maybe willem de koning does yeah maybe willem de koning does you should probably check that out open for Adults over 40. The, yeah, I don't know what the continuing education system is like here. Maybe I'll take a film class. Well, we've talked a lot about accounting. Too much. We've talked about that. Right. But the, the, one of the things that we talk about, I talk about in this this podcast a lot is um, pivots. And I think that pivoting from the financial to the to the art, it's a pretty big pivot. One of the other main themes of the show is how do you feel about success? Do you think of yourself as being a successful person? And I'll, and I'll just preface it by saying, of, I, I think that you're successful in that you have this balance of jobby job and art practice. And I don't know about all of your artwork, but I know you're making films and stuff. And I know that making short art films is no way to make money. No. So you're doing it because you really want to do it. Yes. So you must get some gratification out of it. So the fact that you found this balance and you're able to do both, for me, 
is the hallmark of success. And also that the jobby job is our adjacent, which is kind of great. It is kind of great. But I think for me, success, I feel like I'm on a boat (laughs) on water and you're riding the waves. And I think a lot of people view success as only going up and that you can and should only go up. Sometimes you're moved along and pushed by the waves. And sometimes the waves are just moving, but your boat isn't going anywhere. You know, those kind of waves, the ones that just, the the choppy ones. Choppy waves. At the moment, I feel I'm on choppy waves and I'm in that same location. Personally, right now, today, I have the same feeling I had when I was 28, when I felt like I'm working in this company full time. I just got my metalsmithing degree in the fine art department from the University of Kansas, but I don't picture any change. And I like change and I like risk. On these choppy waves, there's no risk at the moment and there's no change. I'm realizing I need to also create, like I did when I was 28, that I'm I'm just going to have to force for myself a change of risk because that's when I feel alive. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's also why I really like the camera is I feel risk each time I'm pressing that button. Maybe somebody who's a professional with film of course, of course. <laughs> doesn't feel that risk. Yeah. Uh, recently, I got back a roll of film that had been poorly loaded in the camera. User fault. <laughs> and it was stretched when I, uh, when I got it back. But the visual effects were so beautiful. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> and super dreamy. And I thought, this is perfect. This actually goes with, I mean, it actually became something inspiring. And it was something I could never have even thought to have done in Photoshop or After Effects with, with the film. But uh, back to your question of success. I don't know. Maybe we're, we're all our, our, big, our biggest critique and, and judge. And right now I don't feel super successful because i feel like i don't i'm out of balance with jobby job and art practice okay and i need to reel back in jobby job right so well that that's interesting because the last time not the last time we hung out but the time before that when we when we, when we ran into you at the ramen place hinoki you were talking about films that you were working on and it sounded like you were pretty deep in it i was um, but I, I, I guess <laughs> I guess what a difference a couple of months makes. I guess, but it's uh, I, it's it sounds like you're working on some real stuff. Like you're working, you're making an actual film instead yeah. of just like farting around with video like I do. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I I mean it's um, a simple uh, maybe silly idea again tied back to economics. But I was thinking about okay. First of all, let's go back a little bit further. I love Philip Glass's opera piece uh, from the the seventies, Einstein's Walk on the Beach. Okay, I love it. And he all all the numbers. Uh, basically, they're counting, mm-hmm. but the counting and the numbers become so abstract and so beautiful. And the way that it's singing, I I just I love it. And uh, I don't understand why it's like when it's performed that people have to sit in 
chairs. I would want to be lying in a dentist chair <laughs> <laughs> and and just lying down and listening. I don't like going to the dentist, but I do love dentist chairs. As do I. And the lights. <laughs> I love those lights that are there too. Anyway. And then I was thinking about the miracle where Jesus immediately feeds 5,000. Uh-huh. Immediately 5,000 loaves of bread. Yeah. My economic brain is thinking, oh, or business brain was thinking, oh, how long would it today take a factory to make 5,000 loaves of bread? And I had these romantic images of bread loaves just rolling off a conveyor belt. Mm -hmm. And I thought, I, I just need to film that. I just need to film a conveyor belt with loaves of bread rolling off the conveyor belt. And then I don't know what I'll do with that, but I'll do something else. When I have an idea about something, I don't have the full idea. I don't have a script or anything. It's just this image that I need to get. And then I will get that. And then once I see that, then I start writing or, oh, now I need to make this sculpture. And then I'll make the sculpture. And so it's this whole tentacle, tentacular, I can't say that word, tentacle. Sure. sure. I like that one. Tentacular. Tentacular. I, I don't know. I don't know if it's an actual word, <laughs> but it's. I, I know what it means. <laughs> Like George Bush strategy. <laughs> Sorry. It's not quite the same, but yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, again, I, I'm a jack of all trades. I, I, I draw a lot and paint and make sculptures, but I'm not, I didn't study sculpture. I didn't study painting. I didn't study drawing. I studied metalsmithing yeah. and I'm not doing metalsmithing yeah. at all. And I haven't had a, f a film class, but I love using the camera. Yeah. And I love that when you look through a lens, instead of looking at a screen, that all of a sudden the world looks different. And you're, you're, you're actually, the peripheral vision, the fact that that's cut off, mm -hmm. actually, I, I love that. So, yeah, okay, I, I, uh, I'm rambling. And then my film footage actually accidentally got thrown away oh. by somebody in my studio building. I was keeping it in the refrigerator of the commons and there was a major clean out and somehow those rolls. That is so bad. It's so bad. It's so messed up. But then I got to refilm mm -hmm. at the same bread factory. This was in Kansas. Okay. Uh, really, it's called Great Harvest Bread. And really neat people. Like I literally called and then they're like, sure, come on down tomorrow. That's awesome. <laughs> I know. Then, but it's just, that's, I, again, I think that's a, a really nice difference between the Midwest and here. I, I've tried to film at other places and There's nobody. A place in Spangen. Yeah. Nobody answers my emails yeah. or I think that they're like afraid that I'm making a documentary and I'm going like to uh. reveal like health concerns or something. There's just not, there's a, a formalness, whereas the Midwest is so laid back yeah. and trusting. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it depends on who you talk to. But I, I, when I was in school as an undergraduate, I called up a guy at a hot dog factory and asked if I could take some pictures in there. And he was like, why? And I told him. And then he's like, all right, fine. And then he, <laughs> he like, he like walked me through, gave me a tour. And at the end, he gave me like four cases of hot dogs. Wow. Yeah. Wow. It was cool. Yeah. But I did get to refilm in the in the bread factory, and I did get those rolls back. Excellent, and they're nice. Yeah, I filmed in the uh, in the factory, and then Russia invaded oh, Ukraine. Yeah. Oh, and it changed the. This is we talked about. This yes, kind of, yeah. and I kind of feel like it's been. I I have been hesitant to continue to work on it because I 
now feel subjugated to the larger implications of grain. So what, what when is that when is that uh when's that film uh all right, first of all, did you actually film five thousand loaves of bread? No, because that's the beauty with editing is that you only need like ten minutes or five. You know, like <laughs> yeah, you only need ten loaves and you could just <laughs> copy duplic- paste. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you just copy paste it. And I also discovered in the bread factory that my romantic vision of loaves of bread rolling off a conveyor belt. That doesn't exactly happen. It's not romantic? <laughs> no. What? That's not. Dough. There's lots of dough yeah. rolling off uh, conveyor belts. I can imagine that's beautiful. It Plop. is beautiful. It Plop. is. <laughs> the ploppies are amazing. How's the light in there? Did you have to bring stuff? I didn't bring stuff because, again, I don't have this training and therefore reflex to think about special lighting. So, no, I just adjust the f-stops and and I have my light meter. Just to be clear, it, this work isn't about, um, it's not about this uh, uh, reproduction of, of 5,000. That's just uh, the idea that inspired yeah, 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 yeah. wanting to wanting to film that and then just like the name of your podcast feel free to deviate there you go i'm always deviate always always constant (laughs) it's it's a good name right yes it is a good name it really is (laughs) (laughs) when you start these things you you just want to execute that like you have the, the the vision of the bread so you go out and you you capture the vision of the bread and then maybe you go off to do a sculpture or something or whatever. So is like what is what is the pro, what is what's going to happen with the project? Like what are you going to do with the bread footage? Is there a bread You can make a I think it would be awesome to see a a a, a bronze sculpture of a loaf just a loaf of bread. Like a beautiful bronze loaf of bread. Well, I've been um painting loaves of bread. I've been sculpting loaves of bread, but then I've been filming them. I end up using these sculptural images, which are um, objects also, to become a metaphor, a visual metaphor for something that is going on in either the economic or, in this case, geopolitical world. Mm-hmm. And I, and this is just my process. And again, I don't know, I haven't started writing yet. I mean, yeah. I do have uh, some haikus that I've written that accompany. Haikus. <laughs> They're the jam. They're so good. No, this sounds like Maude from <laughs> The Big Lebowski. Or, it's <laughs> definitely not esoteric, but... Um, uh, <laughs> I'm not joking. I think haikus are the jam. I think they're the best. It's a high, It's one of the highest art forms. But they're kind of funny haikus. They're, <laughs> so. If they're funny, they're better, right? <laughs> then there's... Yeah, I like to write and introduce characters. Again, I don't know what I'm doing with this, but with my previous film, which was called... Uh, liquidated all away and i was like keen on water and again like liquidation but then uh, liquidation on all sorts of levels like like nature liquidating itself but then also that film was based on or inspired because my parents are constantly going to estate sales yeah and i don't know if estate sales exist in the east coast oh yeah of course okay yeah well they go ritually every Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. One, to see homes. Yeah. Two, yeah, whatever. We need light bulbs. They might get some good stuff. They might get some good stuff. You never know. Most of the time, my dad is just getting extension cords and light bulbs. (laughs) Light bulbs. (laughs) I know, but seriously. (laughs) 
Not, I, not stereo equipment? No. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'd be looking for. But, uh, yeah, so th- that that film took on it w- scenes of water, but then soap dispensers, and then I was making sculptural soap dispensers because the liquidation is immediate when you <laughs> when you press on the the top of the plastic soap dispenser, yeah. you immediately get liquid out, <laughs> and and that is what liquidation is. It's, yeah, this, it's quite literal. <laughs> your your house is not liquid, but cash is, and then applying that also to my art. So I ended up making all these sculptures and then asking an appraiser who did not know me to come in and appraise my dude that is awesome (laughs) but along with a bunch of other objects so i kind of set up this not not an estate sale but it was a mix of whatever pencil holder and sculpture so this whole array of objects and things to be evaluated and to be appraised at liquidation value. Yeah. So not, you know, like we need to liquidate, I'm going bankrupt and I need to pay off my debts as soon as possible. Yeah. That kind of scenario. Except, I mean, that was in my mind. <laughs> so it was a very humbling experience <laughs> because you're removing the context of the gallery. Yeah. You're removing the context of, oh, this is an artist. Yeah. And and all all these things that add value right so so the appraiser was just like what do they normally appraise things at estate sales just anything at an estate yes. sale. okay yeah. so they might like let's just say i had made an oil painting oh well that and there's a ship in it and a, and yes a, the, or a these, horse these a man a horse. on a horse <laughs> yeah these kind of things are valuable yeah 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 they are you know whereas i do Whereas a photograph, maybe a little bit less, a clay sculpture, a little bit. Wow, the Midwest really likes oil paintings. Those things, I guess, last. So this, all these, I ended up filming these kind of things and then and recording the conversation in the film, liquidated all the way. There were all these kind of choppy layers of uh, both reality, but then fiction and then shots on the soap dispenser and then... I was taking on, uh, in one part of the film, the voice yeah. of somebody who who had lost their job and who needed to liquidate, and how they were um, in that situation. But it was it was it was a tiny segment, and it was paired then with images of uh, Hurricane Katrina oh. and the water rising. So it's. Um, I'm just explaining all this because the bread film, again, it's not about bread, but it's taking something similar to liquidated all away, which was water mm-hmm. and liquid and movement and transformation and taking these concepts and associating them with the physical and with something visual and to create using a language that already exists mm-hmm. and associations, but then also transforming them and then creating a new story with that. And, and so I don't know how the the bread film. I'm calling it just the bread film, but how that is going to end up and what it will become. Um, but there are so many layered associations with bread, yeah, and and with grains, and now that's even more right um, impacted and compounded because of Ukraine, right? And Kansas, similar to Ukraine, bread I mean, basket, can- yes, 
so that, I mean, I grew up being, yeah, surrounded by grains and farmers mm-hmm. and, and bread. And it, yeah. All right. So this, these, like, I, I feel silly pointing this out, not to you, to the audience, but a lot of the audience, they might not be familiar with this type of art. So I think it's cool that you just went through all of that. I, you know, it sounds pretty awesome to me. Thank you. That appraisal things. Freaking genius. <laughs> That's super good. And how, how was this, uh, how did you, how did you show this? Where did you show it? How, how well, was it done? Actually, it was um, shown at the Center for Contemporary Art in Krakow, in Poland. Oh. Krakow. Um, in an exhibition that was called The Trouble with Value. And it was very appropriate, very appropriate. (laughs) And um, it was curated by a woman here and her name is Chris Diddle. And she and I here in the Netherlands, here in Rotterdam. Uh uh, She's actually originally from Hungary. Okay. She had also studied economics. So when I met her, it was a random encounter because, as you know, I'm (laughs) not on any social media. (laughs) But um, so she and I had a conversation about this affinity with uh, and our mutual histories with economics mm-hmm. and still our enjoyment of it. And then it it was pure coincidence. She was organizing this exhibition around the trouble with value. So in the museum, I had the film finished and projected. But then there were also all my sculptures and objects and then mixed in with the museums, some of their belongings, some of their works. Again, I repeated the the appraisal thing. And then the idea was to have everything available for sale, like as in an estate sale. And I really was wanting like the whole thing to be devoured by vultures. Again, it well, it to be honest, it didn't really work because we're in a museum setting, so people are like, "Oh, I can't touch." Right. Whereas expectations of, of the venue. Yeah. Whereas, like in an estate sale, I have this. Uh, I I filmed it, but I didn't put it in the film because it's my uh, my parents uh, who who were being filmed. Yeah. And my dad apparently loves the camera <laughs> and was talking to me. And explaining estate sales and not, and not. And this man comes up to him at one of these estate sales and is like, do you think this vacuum cleaner works? And uh, That is so good. And my dad is like, yeah, well, why don't you plug it in? Let's try it. You know, so they're like <laughs> testing out the vacuum cleaner. <laughs> that is pure gold. I know. And then he, my dad turns to me and he says, see, you don't, you don't get to do this at Target or at Walmart. You can't just like plug in a vacuum cleaner and people aren't coming up to you and like asking your opinion on stuff. And then my mom, this is why I couldn't include it in the film. My mom comes up to my dad and she's holding like <laughs> three different colored velour jump jumpsuits. Yes. <laughs> like one is blue, one is hunter green, and one is burgundy red. Ooh. Like typical colors from the 80s, right? Yeah. <laughs> and she's like, Phil, Phil, what do you do you think that I would fit into these? And my dad, knowing that I'm filming, turns to me and says, Well maybe you should try those on, Karen. <laughs> 
But my mom does not like the camera. Uh, <laughs> brutal. No. So I'm not, I didn't do that to her. But I say that because that's the context of the estate sale. So she did go back and try them on. Yes. Of course, you know, in somebody's house, in somebody's bathroom that that you don't even know who they are. I got to go to one of these things. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you should. You should go with my parents. Uh, yeah, no, it sounds like I might want to go with your dad. He's, he's the pro. Obviously, that did not happen in uh, in Krakowy and the whole, yes, you can pick up. And the other thing is that there's also a different rapport with, with money and value in, in Poland, which sure. I... Uh, was learning about while while there, yeah. also because of the major presence of the Catholic Church, which I was ignorant to. Um, I had done some research trips there, and for example, seeing like the number of relics that they have, and who knows if they're even real. And I ended up making. I wanted to make. I knew I needed to make a uh, a really large sandal, like the sandal of Jesus's foot. Jeez. And it's Close. it's huge. <laughs> out of out of clay, so ceramic giant sandal. And so then of all these objects, then there's this giant sandal, and then that was a relic, so it's not for sale. Because uh, apparently in so the Catholic What were they gonna do with it? Like in the Catholic Church, apparently you're not allowed to sell relics. Uh, I don't know. I learned this when I was there. So how do they acquire them? They're donated? I guess they're just Oh, that's a good question. I don't know. I don't know. But so I, I, that's why I made that was because that was for me something Polish or yeah. I, I don't know yeah, if that yeah. would have worked here. <laughs> to or... each their own. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, some people did buy things, but again, again, we're, we're talking like three, three euros or $3 for this clay soap dispenser or, you know, so just so I just say that because when I say, oh, I was able to sell stuff, it's not. I left and (laughs) I paid off all my, yeah, I was more in debt. (laughs) Yeah, the trip there cost more than what I made. But then uh, that same exhibition then uh, traveled here to the Netherlands and was in Eindhoven Uh, at uh, Automotope, which is a project space. And also they have a nice bookshop and Arizo printing and i put some of the objects then on marked plats um, <laughs> best venue for art <laughs> so they just had, for, just so you all know marked plots is kind of like craigslist in the netherlands ah yes yes it's great and kind of. what was fun was that there were things from the automotope okay i don't want to say collection but they had like a giant carpet a roll of carpet so then i rolled it up took a picture of that it's on marked plats but then it's a part of the installation so it also became like a support for some of the sculptures and for some of the objects and then on marked plats you just see the ad for the carpet and the opening hours and the address and the location of automotive pay so people from marked plats were coming and buying Come stuff check it out and then taking apart the show so that was that's what i wanted i wanted the the exhibition and the installation to be slowly dismantled dismantled and i made um a couple sculptures that were like swimming pools and so i put them on the swimming pool category on marked plats and then so if you were looking for swimming pools you would come across this sculpture of a swimming pool and so one of them sold excellent (laughs) because when people ask ah what do you do 
for art? It's that such a difficult question because people want to both pigeonhole you, but also they need to associate. Ah, oh, so do you do painting mm-hmm. or do you do uh, drawing or photo? So it's it's only what you do is not associated with the idea, but with I, the medium. I know, and so it's always difficult to explain, especially over radio or podcast. Uh, what what you do when you're using a visual ang- language to describe things and to convey things that you can't always use words for, then mm-hmm. it's, it's at least I have difficulty explaining what I do. So the only way that I know how to explain what I do is to take one project, which is why I was mentioning the trouble with value, and liquidate it all away. And for me, using that as an example of, of what I do and how I execute an idea. I, there, there are a couple of things that I want to get. Then I have to run to get the kids, unfortunately. I didn't realize it was so late. Real quick, master's degree. Would you do it again? Yes, definitely. You would? Yes. Okay, why? Because uh, for me personally, the fact that my art studies from the U.S. were uh, craft-based, yep, metalsmithing, and then when I went to f- France, which that was... Uh, on the opposite end of the spectrum of, I would even say like, yeah, conceptual, where I was, I hadn't, I had never had a philosophy class, oh, okay. nothing. Right. No, it's an introduction. It, I was thrown literally into another world where I did not realize how embedded in those people thought and discussion and critique mm-hmm. and argumentation is. And I understood nothing and none of it. And when the professors would ask me why I was doing something, and I was giving constantly insufficient answers. It just a total wake up call um, for three years. So that that's also why I ended up staying. When I did the masters, I think maybe this is why they took me or accepted me. Um, regardless, uh, what I got out of it was a period of two years where I was under no professors because the Piet Sword is special in that they don't have this master. Um, student uh, relationship Mm -hmm. and structure that they're constantly bringing in outside professionals that are constantly and theorists and seminars and it ranges from uh, writers and critics to uh, curators but also psychologists or historians or really specialized individuals and you're constantly doing studio visits with these people to have exchanges and to have your own work uh, nourished and also, yeah, also criticized, but in the good way, like to have this feedback. And in those two years, I was able to kind of also go back to, quote unquote, myself. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. To no longer be ashamed of, oh, I'm from the Midwest Uh and I'm from Kansas and I'm an artisan or I studied, you know, craft and I don't know who Solovit is, but now I do. Now you do. <laughs> and Robert Morris, who is he? Now I do. Yeah, you do. <laughs> and yeah, I have two years to experiment in, in a studio and and still have that outside feedback and critique at the same time, uh, really, really developing uh, an art practice. And and I'm I'm really thankful to that. That's a good answer. I would love to talk about this more, but I really need to go. Okay. Um, unfortunately, I'm sorry. Sorry to the audience. I'm sorry to you. 
You should be. And um, <laughs> I, yeah, uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Jim. Um, is uh, is there a website or something? I have a website. Yeah. It is an atypical website, but it is uh, rachel.carey, C-A-R-E-Y, no relation to Mariah, unfortunately. And then dot hot gloomy, hot glue dot me. <laughs> so. All right. We'll put that in the show notes. So, <laughs> And um, thank you so much. You're welcome. Uh, I'll, yeah, I will see you later. Yes. Bye. Soon. Bye, Jim. That was Rachel. Had to cut that one a bit short. Could have talked a lot longer, but I, I think this was pretty good. Maybe we can do it again sometime. I liked a lot of things about this episode, but I find it particularly interesting when she talks about explaining her art to a general non-art public and how hard it is to convey what she actually does. But on the other hand, at this moment, the art world, who are supposed to be her people, are more interested in her ability to do accounting. I truly appreciate how her life experience and these sorts of observations shape her art, whether it's from her practical art education, her economics background, or her highly theoretical master's degree. Of course, everyone who makes art draws from their life, education, and experiences, but not everyone is quite as aware of it. And often people are unable or unwilling to talk about it. In this instance, her combined experiences seem to have brought her a pleasing and tasteful level of self-awareness. I'm glad she shared it here, and also in her art. I think we could all benefit from having a deeper understanding of why we do some of the things we do. I know I could. All that said, Rachel's parents were correct. It's hard to argue against the fact that learning a skill that people need is a reliable way to stay securely employed. Like her dad said, there's always going to be another accounting job. As of today, that is still correct. And I'm glad she has that parachute so she can keep making undervalued art. Thanks for being on the show, Rachel. We'll talk again soon. And thank you, dear listener. It's wonderful that you keep joining me for these talks, and I appreciate your time. If you have a little more time, check me out on social media. I'm at Feel Free to Deviate on Instagram, YouTube, and other social media platforms. Like, follow, interact, tell your friends. You can also go to feelfreetodeviate.com if you like websites. If you'd like to contribute financially, check out buymeacoffee.com slash feel free. That's just feel free, no deviations. It's a quick, easy, and painless way to help offset the cost of running the show while simultaneously keeping me caffeinated, which costs more than you might think. I'll include Rachel's crazy URL in the show notes so you can go look at some of her work. And um, up next could be any of a number of people. I'm talking with three different folks next week, so stay tuned to find out what happens. It's not, not really a cliffhanger. Anyway, I'll be back in two weeks. Be excellent to each other. 